Hello everyone, welcome back to Blood Talk. Um, returning with a Phantasm Talk again. I'm sure this doesn't surprise you at all, as uh, seems to be the only thing I talk about at this point. Um, but um, yes, yes, we, we continue our Phantasmathon today, as many people would call it on YouTube. Uh, so just a bit of uh, context, I suppose, before we start this one. If you don't want to know what Phantasm is, it's a five-film movie franchise that spanned from 1979 to 2016. Bet you're surprised you haven't heard of it already, yeah, considering it's that long. Well, don't worry, most people don't. And, in fact, if you've never heard of me before, then this is most likely your first time hearing the word Phantasm. Um, so, yeah, the, the franchise... 37 years, all the same cast throughout those 37 years, so it's, yeah, quite a long time. But that means there's a lot of content as well in these five films to talk about. And, you know, recently, I this video popped up on my recommended on YouTube, and that is a deep read into the Maniac Cop films, for no reason. Um, that's literally the title, for no reason. And... Maniac Cop is another of my favourite horror franchises. It's probably probably second place, actually, just behind Phantasm. So I was interested, and I clicked on it, and it was very good. It was a half-an-hour in-depth explanation of the Maniac Cop films, and, well, just as you'd expect. So I was inspired by this, and I decided to come up with this, a deep reading into the Phantasm films, as I think there is a bit more depth to the Phantasm movies. Not only because there's two more films in Phantasm than there is in Maniac Cop, but also because of the ideas at the core, there's more to do with Phantasm. Um, so, yeah. Um, I think that about uh, covers everything. Um, I'm going to go through each of the five films and give an in-depth explanation as to the thematics and the symbolism of each film and what they're supposed to do. So, the first film, Phantasm, 1979. Well, this film is just truly, it's a story about Mike being a kid who struggles with loss, as we all did when we were younger. I'm 15 myself, 16 in June, and if I'd, I just know, if I'd have seen this film when I was younger, uh, the first time I saw this was about two or three years ago, when I didn't really understand it. But if I had seen it when I was younger, I certainly wouldn't have understood it. Um, but now that I've matured a little bit, I can understand it. And I understand that it's about a kid who struggles with loss. Um, and the point is, when you are younger, you do struggle with loss. This isn't just like a unique kid. Every one of us have struggled with the loss of a family member. But it's when you're at a kid specifically it's the most haunting thing in the world because if you think about it he's trying to cope with the death of his parents and he's only like what 13 maybe um and that's very difficult because your parents are pretty much your world until you get older so to have to put up with their deaths it's extremely difficult for such a young age i mean it's difficult anyway like when you get older but especially when you're younger and it's just such a clever thing because it's like 
It's like, you know, in those, like, it's like in the James Bond films. You know when, um, some of the, uh, some of the hitmen people, the, the villains, the villains' bodyguards are killed off. And those criticisms of Bond back in the day, like, obviously jokey ones, but criticisms like, oh, you gotta wonder how their wife and kids felt. You know, oh, James Bond has just shot your husband in the head. Sorry about that. Um, and this movie feels like, well, that, it feels like what we, what actually happens after that, like, when the family member is killed off, it's, like, how the family members deal with it, um, and obviously this whole film is having the tall man, played by Angus Scrim, rest in peace, uh, he plays the tall man, and he's the representative of death. He killed Mike's parents, but in real life, if we're going to look at the reality of of what that's supposed to symbolise, it's not that he killed Mike's parents, it's that death killed Mike's parents, because death, well, (laughs) this is what death means, everyone, death kills us all, and the tall man is supposed to symbolise that, and Mike fighting the tall man is meant to represent fighting off death, which we all do. Like, every single waking second of every single day, we're fighting off death. We're surviving. We're not dying. But the tragic reality is that we are all going to die someday. And, well, we'll get into that in the later films, but, yeah. And this is about grief and trying to put up with the death of someone you know. Um, and the the tall man appears to Mike in reality once, if you like, and that being the very end of the film. Because if you're going to assume that the whole film was just made up in Mike's head, then the last five minutes when the tall man does appear to Mike, that's him realising that death is a reality. That's him accepting it. Because you only accept death when it stares you in the face. And Mike stared death in the face very literally. The tall man at the end of the film. And after that, death was something he accepted. He didn't fear it anymore. And that is the whole point of his character And throughout the film. He was a character scared and terrified of death. And the death of those around him. And that's why the tall man is such a perfect villain. Because he's the manifestation of of death. And at the end of the film. Well more more of the start of Phantasm 2. But at the start of Phantasm 2. It's it's Mike getting over this fear of death. And he's able to face it. And not only that. But he actively wants to face it. He gears up to fight the tall man. And he does. And he prevails. But... That's the whole point. It Maybe you could argue that that should have been... To an extent, it is at the end of the first film, where Mike uh, traps the tall man in a mineshaft. But in that film, he only traps the tall man because he has to, to survive. Um, whereas in Phantasm 2, he's actively going out facing his fear. So Mike's character arc is kind of complete there. Obviously, he has other character arcs, but... From the first film, the one that was developed into his character, yeah. And then of course you got Jody, his older brother, who 
Mike fears is going to leave him. And that is the, the reason he fears this, not only from hearing the conversations, but the reason he's so paranoid is because his parents have died. Like, Jody is the only person he has. And Jody is someone he looks up to. Jody is like the coolest guy in the 1970s. He has a 1971 Barracuda. He owns guns. He's always going off with women in bars. Like, that that's the coolest guy ever, ever. So to have a brother like that to look up to. And if once again, if we're going to assume that the whole thing is a dream, then Jody probably wasn't actually like that in real life. But because he's Mike's older brother, he just sees him as cool. So in his dream, it's exaggerated even further. And he does have all these unrealistic things that people his age wouldn't actually have at that time. Um... So that's what makes the dreams even more powerful because they, you know, they, uh, they're an exaggerated version of actual events, which once again happens when you're younger. You exaggerate things naturally. Then again, you can't say for sure whether the whole film was a dream or not, and that's part of the charm of it. I think you can't really answer... I mean, this whole franchise is so complicated. Sometimes that's great, sometimes it's... Not, but overall it's usually great. And in this film, they master the whole is it a dream or not vibe perfectly. And yeah. Um, and also, of course, like this, that little, I think there's a cool detail when Mike and Jody wants to go to the police with that bit of evidence, the tall man's finger, but they, they can't because it turns into a bug and basically stops them. Um, and that's a great way of saying that um, the police can't help you face death. Only you and your friends can. And family. Friends and family can. Uh, and I know that to some people might sound like a stretch. But when you really do think about it, it's not. Because if you're on your deathbed, right? And you you, you wanted to survive. You wouldn't, you'd want your family and friends there with you. And not the police. And it's the same concept here. Because you trust Jody and well, Mike would trust Jody and Reggie more than the police to help him face the tall man because he knows them. And when you're younger, you're so naive that you, the only people you trust are the people you actually know. He knows what the police are. He, but you can't conceptualize it extremely well because he's never seen them in action. He's not old enough. Um, and yeah. The Thomas planet, of course, looks a lot like hell. And it basically is hell. And that's just further representing him as being death or, or the devil in a way. Um, and the minions go into his planet when they're crushed down um, to serve him or whatever. Yeah, that's once again, it's the idea of going to hell. Um, and yeah, that's I suppose that's about everything. It's It's a deep. You could probably go deeper into this, I, but the, they're the basics, if you like. Um, I suppose there's a lot of other themes that are explored more in other films in the franchise that are kind of set up here, such as the loyalty aspects and the importance of family and friends. But as I say, it's explored more in some of the other films, so we'll get to that later. Um, Phantasm 2. Uh, this film doesn't really have as many good ideas as the first one, if we're being honest. 
But that's not Don Coscarelli, the director's fault. Um, it's more the fact that Universal Studios own this film, and the they had a massive influence on what went on, such as the fact that they didn't want A. Michael Baldwin to play Mike, and they didn't want the dream vibes and the complexity of the first one. So it kind of hinders the the overall quality of Phantasm, really. But it's still quite good, and th- there are some ideas here. I mean, of course, the the idea of the tall man being a manifestation of death and fear um, that that's still prom- uh, prominent, of course. And as I stated before, Mike facing the tall man in this film not only. Uh, not only having to face the tall man, but choosing actively to face the tall man is it, it's like the whole uh, you can only get over your fears if you face them, and he does, and that's where he does get over the fear of the tall man. He's not scared of him after this film, I don't think. Um, there are other ideas like a love interest with Mike, and the love Mike's love interest feels like the relationship between him and. Reggie with the whole loyalty but to be honest it doesn't really go very far and like what's strange to me is that Mike's love interest I I don't even remember her name she gets killed off at the end of the film right um oh no actually it's the start of Phantasm 3 she's confirmed killed off Mike doesn't even care he never mentions her again it's like she didn't even die it's like she didn't even exist even um, and to me that's strange like I understand why it happened it's because Universal Pictures made Don Coscarelli add in a love interest and his revenge in the third film he had her killed off with like no remorse at all but from an actual like storytelling perspective it's very unrealistic like uh, I, I mean I know this is all about trying to give a uh, give you reason to tell you why phantasm is such a great philosophical deep uh inside thinking of whatever but i will say that this idea of mike's love interest is probably the worst idea they came up with and it's not even a bad idea it's just the way they handled it like i think mike having a love interest can work i mean heck reggie's had a bunch but and and they even make Mike's love interest similar to himself, which helps it even further. But at the same time, they don't go and they don't they don't handle it well enough. Like there's not enough scenes where you can really buy these two have chemistry. Because let's be honest, they don't have any chemistry. As as good as an actor as uh, flipping James LaGrosse is, and I I will admit he is a better actor than a Michael Baldwin. Because of the way it's written, you don't really buy that he actually loves her. Like, and then, once again, when she's killed off and there's no reaction from Mike, like, it's just, yeah, it's ridiculously unrealistic, let's be honest. Phantasm 2 may be my second favourite film in the franchise, but, God, thinking back, in terms of the depth and stuff, it's, there's not a lot to it, really, it's, Still a great film, in my mind, like, in in terms of the action and the um, spectacle and the scale, really, as well. And the music, uh, of course, 
and this is the film where Reggie's quad barrel shotgun was made. Like, yeah, that's all great, but if you're looking for a great story, then yeah, this is not the best phantasm film to go to whatsoever. Um, but next up in line is uh, Phantasm Three, and there is some great character work here. Honestly, it's more for Reggie though, because Phantasm One was a movie about Mike, with Reggie being like a secondary character. Phantasm Two, they're kind of on equal equal parts ish, and then Phantasm Three feels purely Reggie for a lot of the time, because uh, Mike's been kidnapped by the tall man. Um, so but that actually helps a lot in its favour, because there is some really clever work for Reggie here. And that being when Reggie sees this kid uh, called Tim, who, yeah, Tim, he's like this kid who's basically Kevin McAllister, point two. I mean, Home Alone was becoming popular when this film came out, 1994. So you can understand why they'd have that, but let's, from from my perspective anyway... Tim is one of the worst characters in the franchise. He's just completely bizarrely unrealistic. But for what he means to Reggie, I think it's genius almost. Like he warms up to Tim straight away. And at first, if you're not if you if you're not noticing the stuff, you think, well, why? why? Why would he just suddenly warm up to this kid? Why does he care about him so much? But because of Don Coscarelli being such a clever director through some intelligent choices really like such as Tim's clothing and his haircut and camera shots and along with some explicitly done scenes Tim is clearly meant to be like Mike from the first film like I, I couldn't be more I couldn't stress that enough like if you don't believe me go and rewatch that film again Phantasm 3 might be my least favorite of the franchise but oh my god there is so there is such clever character work here like, just some with some shots, like some close-ups of Tim mirroring that of Mike in the first film. The fact that he drives a car is pretty much Mike driving his dirt bike in the first film. Um, the clothing being a kind of, is it lightish blue? And he wears like a denim jacket or something, and that's what Mike wore. Uh, having long, untidy hair, being like Mike's. Um, the fact that his parents were killed off, and that's what started his vengeance against the tall man. But, yeah, it's so clever. But he's even got, like, the capabilities of Mike, the, the the look of him, the overconfidence despite his youth, even. Like, it's, it's so explicitly obvious to me that he's meant to be Mike, and that's why Reggie warms up to him so quickly, because he re he's reminded of Mike whenever he sees Tim, and I love that, because throughout the film, Mike isn't there. So Tim is the closest to Mike he's got, which is why he's so loyal to him. And it's such a clever bit of character work here for, for a B-movie. Keep in mind, these are B-movies. Like The closest to these not being a B-movie is the second one, right? Which had a budget of, like, what, 7 million? This one had a budget of about 3.5 million, and this is the kind of effort going into the characters. Amazing, really. Um, but there's even particular scenes here that demonstrate the whole idea like, such as the ending to Phantasm 3 is basically the same ending to the first film, but the only difference is that Mike and Tim swap places. Uh, but, you know, there's more, like, Tim, like I said, Tim driving the Cuda is basically a mirror image of Mike driving a dirt bike. And there's a fireplace scene in uh, the first film with Reggie and uh, Mike, and 
then there is a similar one in Phantasm 3, which is shot very similar as well, and it's basically a callback to that one. Both Mike's and Tim's parents were killed off, like I mentioned, but the difference is between Mike and Tim is while their parents were both killed off, um, Tim didn't really have anyone for years until Reggie came to her, to you know become friends with him, whatever. But Mike always had Reggie. Throughout all that time, he always had Reggie. This meant that Mike would always keep this level of innocence about him, which he did throughout the first film. And even to the start of the second one, he's Mike's got a lot of innocence to him. Um, well, about death and uh, maturity, whereas Tim, in a way, grew up too fast because of the death of his parents. And he... Uh, I mean, that's obvious because he's he's like a soldier in a way. He doesn't fear death. Tim doesn't fear death. He's about the same age as Mike in the first movie, but the the only difference is Tim doesn't fear death the way Mike does because he matured quicker. Um, but in a way, that's actually Tim's downfall because he was so ridiculously overconfident and unfearful of death, he did end up dying. I mean, yeah, I know in... Phantasm 3, it's not explicitly shown that he dies. But allegedly there was a planned scene at the start of Phantasm 4 where he'd be being eaten by the minions, but he didn't, didn't get that in, probably due to budgetary reasons. Um, But yeah, just on that basis, it's such clever character work. Like, And when Mike actually shows up as well, the focus goes from Tim to the whole group really like Tim kind of becomes irrelevant for a while when Mike appears and that's not just like that that's done intentionally and it's done to show like Reggie not using Tim but indirectly using him he indirectly uses him as being like his mic for a, a good portion of the film but then when the actual Mike shows up yeah he's more interested in him obviously it's like this is going to be a weird comparison, but the best thing I can compare it to is, uh, say you've got a girlfriend, right? And you break up with her for whatever reason. And you get with this other girl who's very, very similar to her. And that kind of creeps you out, but you stay with her anyway, because obviously you like her because of it. But then your old ex comes back to you and has to get back together. And keep in mind, you're still attached to her, of course. Like... You see where I'm going with this. And heck, that's happened to me before. So maybe that's why I can notice all these things. Um, yeah, it's such clever character work. And I've got no faults really with it. Um, definitely a step up from Phantasm 2 in terms of how it's all written. Um, and once again, like I said, this is my least favourite. But there's a lot I can point out that's great about it. Anyway, back on uh, to my favourite Phantasm film, actually, Phantasm 4, Oblivion. Um, in a way similar to the third film, uh, but this one's instead about the comparison of Mike to the Tall Man and their similarities instead of Tim and Mike. Uh, Mike's look is even like slightly similar to that of the Tall Man in this film. Like He's got long, untidy hair, he's got all black clothing and some angered facial expressions here and there. And there's also a lot of camera shots, like when he's driving the uh, funeral car. Are they called hearses, perhaps? Um, and it's the same hearse from the first film. 
and there's a lot of camera shots like from is it from close-ups from the side that uh comparing the tall man and mike to one another but the real kicker as to comparing these two is when he discovers he has the tall man's powers because of the gold ball thing that the tall man put in his head in the third film which he then uses to kill one of the tall man's minions and he's seemingly satisfied in a scarily sadistic manner um the whole film kind of starts off subtle with how similar mike is to the tall man but then it becomes even more obvious throughout the film continuing that you know he's meant to take his place in a way um and then when it reaches that maximum point of where you think, yeah, he's definitely going to become the tall man now, it's all taken away when he sticks to his willpower and doesn't join the tall man. And it's, it's kind of like Empire Strikes Back in a way, uh, like with Mike being Luke and the tall man being like Vader and the, the tall man's trying to like put Mike in a gingerbread house, if you know what I mean. And like he's he's trying to tempt him with all these different sweet bits and pieces which should appear appealing to Mike but Mike's sticking to his guts and he has enough willpower to deny everything that the tall man well he's he's kind of lying to him about what he's going to get because while we don't truly know what actually happens if Mike goes with the tall man we can assume um Something else I came up with a bit ago, which I'm not too sure about. This might be a bit of a stretch, but I'll I'll discuss it anyway. That being the gold ball, could it be a representation of lucid dreaming? Because when you think about it, all these films are dreamy. Like it's it's like the whole thing is a dream, and the tall man is in a way like he orchestrates these dreams. Like he's not. He's not actually orchestrating them, but, well, not all the time, but he's the mastermind behind everything going on. And since he has this power with the gold ball, and that, that that's apparently what he can use to do everything, and then he gives a, a, a similar gold ball to Mike, giving him his powers, isn't that a bit like lucid dreaming? Because then now Mike is able to cast illusions and stuff if he wanted to, and be able to basically do whatever he wants but it might also be a dream i don't know maybe it's a representation of it but it's it's probably not i'm probably stretching that one a bit but i just thought it was an interesting idea anyway phantasm 5 ravager easily probably the most hated film out of all of these and i'll admit it's not very good um came out in 2016 it was filmed in 2008 i think that immediately just tells you how uh like drawn out the production of it all was it was in development hell for like eight years because they couldn't get enough budget and stuff um and that's horrible really because they deserved they did it like they couldn't even reach a million somehow with this film i don't know how that happened personally because i know this is a bit of a mini rant here but the fourth film came out came out in 1998 and for years people thought it would be the last phantasm film but when discussion was going around like 2007 2006 whatever that a fifth film was going to be made 
like all the fans got excited about it and you know you think oh it's going to be one massive blast of a final film and it was meant to be at first like there was a Roger Avery script which was amazing and it was going to be the finale but due to budget once again it couldn't happen and it's so it saddens me because if I was around that point like I was one year old in 2007, but if I could, I would have given them a good 200 quid, like, out of just birthday money, whatever, um, to aid in, to, to aid somehow in getting the budget up for this film. They they could have done some kind of fundraiser or something, come on, like, it, yeah, thing is... This is the most mixed bag of a film ever for me. I've said this before. Um, some people think there's more bad than good in this film, but actually I think the bad and the good are almost on a perfect level. Like, in, in terms of the amount of bad things reaching the amount of good things about it. And so it kind of comes off as a very satisfying yet unsatisfying finale for me. But one of the things that I will say is amazing about this film is the ideas. I think the ideas are brilliant like inspiring ideas and I think with a better script and a better film and a bigger budget these ideas could be phenomenal it's why I think a bud uh, uh, sorry uh, a reboot for Phantasm could actually should actually happen I'm not a fan of reboots in fact I hate reboots usually there's only a few that I think um there's there's only a few that I think are actually good and then there's a very, very small amount that I think are better than the original. Like, literally one or two. Um, I don't know. The Thomas Crown Affair, there's one. Um, and then I would try and think of another, but I'd be wasting my time. Um, but, yeah, I think Phantasm could do with a reboot. Not that I think it would be better than the original, but it would have a higher budget, so it would look better. And would probably boost the popularity being made these days and plus with the whole dreamlike ideas like i know the first film was set in the 70s so it's kind of hard to say oh yeah like all this is going on in the 70s whatever just have it happen in modern day like the ideas will still work the ideas will still work perfectly in fact and i know the idea of recasting angus scrim as the tall man is very very like uh, should it should it happen type of thing but you know if it if if it if it can lend a reboot if it can lend the popularity of this franchise i wouldn't be against it i don't think but i don't know saying that it would definitely be the biggest drawback of another phantasm film for me recasting the tall man is just it's almost disrespectful um but, you know, we'll see whatever happens. Some people want a reboot. I'm definitely one of those. And it's the only film I, I really want a reboot for. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, back on track. So, the invasion of the Earth in this film. A lot of people think the scale was too large for a phantasm. Like, they, they think phantasm is at its best when the biggest threat is that uh, the tall man's like, got the power to kill a town or something whereas in this film he's literally destroying the entire planet 
I know the scale feels a bit too large and for the budget it is way too large. But the idea, once again, is representing the fact that we're all going to die no matter what. And, you know, one of the other running things in this, these films is that you're fighting death in a way. Like, the tall man being death. You start off quite strong when you're fighting death. Like, let's say at an early age you have an illness. When you're fighting off that illness, it's quite easy because you're young, you're youthful, you're healthy. So it's pretty easy to fight off. Like how the tall man in Phantasm 2 and Phantasm 3... He was still a challenge, of course, but generally he was quite he was quite easy to take down. But in each film, he becomes even more difficult to defeat. Have you noticed that? In the first film, it was as simple as throwing him down a mineshaft and covering it with rocks. Very easy. The second film, it's still pretty easy. Like, all they really had to do was pump him with some of that acid thing, whatever it was, uh, that was mixed with the embalming fluid. In the third film, it was even more difficult because now he has a full-on army of uh, dwarves and those, like, um, pirate robber, robber people. Um, and then he also has that whole gold ball thing, which was incredibly threatening. So even more difficult than the second. And then the fourth film was even more difficult because he was blew up and still came back. Um, and then the fifth film, in this one, he becomes like, like, obviously it's implied in the other ones that he can't be killed, but in this one it's explicitly shown that he can't be stopped. And it's, yeah, it's just like the way of, uh, of saying that death will eventually come to you, and that it becomes increasingly harder to stop as you get older. Because, obviously, like, at a young age, it's pretty easy to not die. But when you get older and older and older, it, yeah, it's a lot more risky and you do end up eventually passing away. Um, but as well with the whole Earth invasion thing in this film, it's also saying that um, only the strong survive. Like, the only people who are left are people like Reggie and, and Mike and Rocky uh, and even Chunk. And they're the people who fight back. The people who can fight back and know how to fight back are the only ones who live. Um, and that is true to real life. Like, if you've got a strong immune system and a strong body, then you're more likely to survive than someone who, well, doesn't. Um, but even for them, like, they will eventually die, which is, yeah, represented by the fact that Reggie himself dies. Um... Like, yeah, I know this whole film is, like, a big cinematic mess. But the ideas are still there, let's be honest. Like, Reggie's perspective shifts from a, a nursing home to the battlefield. Which obviously implies that Reggie could be dreaming all these events. But he also might not be. Which is, once again, the charm of the franchise. When Reggie asks for Mike and Jody back, the tall man declines. And this is referencing the fact that death is inescapable. Which links to the first film, like... It's this whole thing of acceptance. He has to accept that um, Mike and Jody are kind of out of his reach. Until, of course, later on he does reconnect with them. But, I mean, once again, that's just the whole nonsense idea of everything going on. And also the fact that Mike and Jody are there with him when he's dying, when he's on his deathbed and he's passing away. 
that's once again representing that whole thing I mentioned with the first Phantasm film, where you face death with your friends and your family, not with the police, not with anyone else. The only two people there present at his death were his two best friends, the only people he needed there in his final final moments. And it wouldn't have been any better if only Mike was there, or if only Jodie was there, or if neither of them were there. It would have been much worse. But the fact that the, they were both there in that iconic shot, almost, it, yeah. It's the perfect ending, really, to Reggie's life. Like, I think even people who don't like this film, which is, let's be honest, quite a lot of people, can admit that if Reggie has to die in these films, this is how you kill him off. And it was beautiful. It's a beautiful moment. Of course, it's kind of undersold when he basically survives in the other world, the other dimension. But if you can just live with it, it works wonders. Um, but yeah, like as a conclusion, I think the running for theme in each film and the way to describe each film in one word is death, really. Like... Each film has their own like unique elements of symbolism or thematics or whatever, um, and they're completely different to the other ones, but death is definitely the one running theme in each one. The tall man represents death. He can't be stopped. He's the one villain that in basically all of fiction, really, that no matter how hard you try, no matter how far you run, he'll always come for you and you can't stop him. But of course there's other running themes in here as well, Ones that I didn't really touch on, surprisingly, like loyalty and the importance of family and friendship, dependence. Each film shows Reggie being loyal to Mike at all costs. He's like his guardian angel. A guardian angel trying to defend someone from the devil, from death. And he does. He, defend, he defends Mike. That's his whole purpose. He's like a doctor trying to help a patient with cancer survive cancer. And... Once again, you could say the tall man is the cancer. He is basically cancer because he's turning the whole world into one massive tumour. That's what he's doing. He's spreading across the world, killing off everyone slowly, bit at a time, until eventually in Phantasm Ravager he basically comes up and kills a bunch of people, almost everyone. And that's the beauty of this franchise. The beauty of this franchise to me is, and this you'll laugh at, it's realistic. I know what you're thinking. If you've ever seen any of these films, oh, Phantasm is probably the most unrealistic thing you can get. Okay, but if it is all a dream, if everything in this film is a dream, then this is probably the most realistic, in, in all of these films, sorry. If everything in all these films is simply a phantasm, an illusion, not real, a dream, then this is probably the most realistic franchise ever. And I don't put that lightly. Because we all dream. And we dream extremely unrealistic things. Like, I've had dreams where there's been massive Coca-Cola cans chasing me down with shotguns. And that's not a joke. These films started out because Don Coscarelli had a dream that he was being chased by a marble corridor. by uh, Sorry, being chased down a marble corridor by drone spheres by chrome spheres by the ones that are literally appear in every single film in this franchise that's how it started it started with a dream don coscarelli had a dream and he put it to screen and that is the point of all these films is it a dream or is it not 
Because if it is all a dream, once again, you can't get more realistic than these films. Because it's a... If it is a dream, it's about men fighting off death. Young men fighting off death. Until eventually these young men become old men. And they're still trying to fight off death, but it becomes a lot more difficult. It's not getting any easier. That's to quote uh, Jodie in the fifth film. And eventually, death takes them. Because that happens in real life. We are all going to die someday, unfortunately. And that's very hard to conceptualise, isn't it? Death is very hard to conceptualise. But if you run with it being the tall man, yeah, you can buy it. Because the tall man is everything we know about death in one. Death is such a mysterious, enigmatic concept that a lot of films, I think, and especially horror films, go way over the top with stuff and they're like, oh, when you die, you... whatever, you go to God knows where. And I know part of the tall man is like, oh, when you die, you don't go to heaven, you go to us. But the tall man as a character represents everything we know about death and doesn't go over the top with it. He's creepy, he's unknown, he's uh, something you have to accept, something that can't be stopped, something that happens to everyone. Everyone in these films has encountered the Tormen at some point or another, and that's very similar to death. So yeah, there's two sides to these films, good and bad. On the bad, you've got the Tormen and his army. And on the good, you got Reggie, Mike, Jody, and whoever else shows up. Both these sides represent one running theme. The tall man represents death. The good, uh, well, the tall man and his army represent death. And then the good, Reggie, Mike, Jody, everyone else, they represent loyalty. Everyone's loyal to each other who's good in this, these films. Have you noticed that? Rocky is loyal to Reggie. Reggie's loyal to Mike. Mike is loyal to basically everyone, to the human race in a way, because he stops himself from becoming the torment. Jody is loyal to Mike. They're all loyal to each other. And that is what makes these films perfect. But of course, something that I forgot to mention in Phantasm 4, when Jody is kind of an oddball and he's he's uh, trying to trade Mike over to the torment. For God knows what reason. Probably because the Tom and has control over Jody. That is like that whole thing of sometimes you can't trust your friends. And Jody, of course, is a very trustworthy character in the other film films in the franchise. But in this one, in Phantasm 4, it's very hard to trust. And that can happen a lot of the time. Because you've got friends who make a bit of a mistake and... You, you wonder to yourself, can I trust them in future? And then when it really matters, you do realise you can. But there are some moments where you can't. The beauty of these films is that they're both the most unrealistic and the most realistic things I've ever seen in my life. And they represent everything that I've experienced throughout 15, these 15 years so far. Like, each film feels like a chapter in my own life. The first Phantasm feels like my primary school life. Phantasm, and maybe the start of high school. Phantasm 2 feels a bit like my experiences in year 8 with love and the loss of love and heartbreak. 
Phantasm 3 feels like year 9. And that's the, the whole thing I mentioned about having that one who's like your ex and you're trying to get over your ex and then all of a sudden someone who's like your ex shows up and then your actual ex shows up and you end up liking them still and you're just loyal to her really over the one who you should be loyal to and then phantasm 4 is like my experiences in year 10 that being that sometimes you get these temptations in life that you want to go bad because of horrible events but you don't basically you could say that's a bit like an emo face but <laughs> i'm not gonna go through my own personal experiences with that and then year 11 feels like phantasm 5 is like the maturity of all this it's the culmination of everything that happened so far, all matured. Like, there's so many different ways you could interpret this into your own life. It's remarkable. And that's why these films are perfect in my mind. I know they're not always great. I know that the storytelling's not on point 90% of the time. And it's only really the ideas that work. But if you can just roll with it, and if you can just accept the ideas of what they're trying to create then these films are perfect. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, I've had this topic on my mind for ages. Phantasm, I love these films. I've known about them for about four years now. And um, so when I was 12, I first knew Phantasm, I think, or 11 even. And I didn't watch it, I don't think, until I was about 12. And I, I was very lukewarm about it at first. I thought, oh, it's... It's okay, it's pretty fun, whatever. But then I saw the other films in the franchise last year, and I absolutely loved them. And I think it is because the other films, while most people tell you they're not as good as the first, they take the ideas of the first and they go deeper with them. A lot of the time. Of course not the second one, but third, fourth, fifth. Not only have their own ideas, but yeah. Phantasm's great. Honestly, go and watch it if you haven't. I mean, I hope you have if you've listened to all this, all these ramblings, but you never know. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. I hope you learned something new. I hope, I mean, I'd love to hear your interpretation of these five films as well. Like, everyone has their opinions and maybe you've got your own theories as well. Just talk to me about it. I'd love to. I don't really speak to enough people about these films. Yeah, thank you very much for listening once again and I'll see you later. Bye-bye.